completed. 1 Peter chapter number 1. As we continue on the subject of the Christian and the end times, I want you to look, if you would please, at verse number 10. The Bible says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. So we're talking about the last days here, right? The grace that should come unto you, whether through death or the, through the appearing of Jesus Christ. Verse number 11, Searching what manner or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the, the angels desire to look into. The angels don't understand the redemption which we have been, been able to experience, and they desire to look into those things. Verse number uh, 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is an end days passage. We now look at verse number 14. As obedient children. Now notice after verse number 13, we have a semicolon. Do you see that at the end of verse number 13? So that means, in other words, we have concluded that statement, but we are continuing on with the thought, right? So verse number 14, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I want you to skip down, if you would please, and look at verse number oh, 21. Who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart, what? Fervently. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to our hearts this evening through the power of your word. And Lord, give me your Holy Spirit presence and power and filling. Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do. I know that we need you. And Lord, I know there's nothing I can say or do that will be filled with power except it be done through your word and your spirit. Lord, I pray that you'd please anoint this place and your people with your presence this evening. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen. You can be seated. We came through those passages and we looked at many of the verses concerning these last days. As we continue to look at the end times and the Christian, there are two main themes that are discussed from verse number 14 down to the end of the chapter. Two very clear themes that are, re that are repeated in other passages concerning the last days. We're going to look at the first portion here and the first truth. The Bible says that as we hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, that as obedient children, not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in our ignorance, 
But as He which hath called you is holy, so be ye what? Holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Modern churches don't like to talk a whole lot today about a holy God. They like to talk a lot about the God that they have created in their own minds and in an image that they think He ought to be in or that fits their own whim of religion. But we don't often talk about the holiness of God. The Bible tells us that in these last days that we are supposed to conform ourselves as obedient children to the holiness of God. Not fashioning ourselves after our former lusts, which we did in ignorance. Are you with me? Now, in other words, in your former lusts, in the time that we spent without Jesus Christ in our hearts, and without the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, the Bible calls us ignorant. And listen, there can be no stronger statement made about sin. That when you live in your own lusts, you live ignorantly. You live foolishly. There can be no stronger statement made about it. Now today the world glorifies sin and uplifts sin. And as we get into these last days, that is only going to wax worse and worse. Right? Wickedness will only wax worse and worse. And we are not supposed to, as we see the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ coming, we are not supposed to go backwards and fashion ourselves to our former lusts, which we did in ignorance without Jesus Christ and without the power of His Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We dealt with that briefly, or maybe actually not briefly, but we dealt with that on Sunday night. Some of you would, would, would certainly contest with me whether or not it was briefly done. Uh, on Sunday night, we dealt with that, some of the changing of our minds and the wisdom that we should be gaining in the Word of God that puts light on our path so that we don't stumble like we used to stumble. Now we see that the Bible tells us that in these last days, there is no greater thing for God's people to do than to be more holy, not less holy. But the movement of Christianity right now is towards less holiness and more carnality, and we try to fashion a God into our own image that understands our wickedness and understands our ways, and a God who comes down to our level and is more human than He is holy. The modern church today wants a God that is human, that is more like us than He is holy. And that's what we get today from a lot of modern preachers. That you can live in the way that you see fit and God loves you still. God does love you, but He hates our sin. And the Bible tells us that we are not to fashion ourselves after our what? The former lusts, right? Now the Bible says after our former lusts in our ignorance... And that ignorance, I believe, is past and present. In other words, in the past, before we were without Christ, we were ignorant in our sin. We were unknowledgeable about what was truly holy and what was truly 
right. We were lost and living in spiritual ignorance without the truth of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in us. Now, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us into truth. Is that correct? So, as He comes into our lives, He moves us out of darkness into His marvelous light. And what is that light? The light of His salvation and the light of His gospel, His word, His scripture, His truths. As we gain more light from Him and understand more and more how to live. Some of you young people are going to have to determine now that you're starting into your school year that you're not going to live more fleshly this school year. You're not going to get into more sin than you did last year. But rather you're going to be the only person in your your school if necessary who lives holy because we're in the last days and we don't want our savior to appear and us to be ashamed as we are caught in our sin the bible tells us though i want you to look at this if you would please look at verse number 15 it tells us that we should live as obedient children in these last days not fashioning ourselves according to the former lusts in our ignorance but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So the Bible tells us not to fashion ourselves according to the lusts that we lived in before we got saved, but then it tells us to fashion ourselves after the holiness of God, to form ourselves after the holiness of God who is called our Father. Understand, Every young man, if he has had a father to look up to, wants to be like his father. Actually, in some cases, even some young ladies want to have some of the characteristics, if you will, of their father. If he was a good man and somebody who loved them, and in all honesty, uh, it is ingrained deeply within the nature of man to want to have the love and affection of our parents, whether they were good to us or not, and in many ways to have them be pleased with us. And so, in the same token, as the Bible tells us that we are to fashion ourselves after our Heavenly Father who is holy in all manner of conversation, it's telling us not to fashion ourselves after our former lusts, but actually as a dear child to live after the fashion that our Heavenly Father lives. And when you compare yourself to God and see how holy He is and how unholy we are, there is no room left for us to justify our sin. There is no room left for us to justify ourselves and say, but God understands. Oh, God understands that we are sinners. That's what He understands. And He expects us to do everything in our power to fashion ourselves into the form of holiness. This is a direct contradiction to modern thinking about God. The modern Christian thinks, I can miss church, God will understand. I can neglect my walk with God, God will understand. I can struggle with my sin, God will understand. But the Bible says that we are to reverse that and rather understand God's holiness, not expect Him to understand our carnality. So the reverse thinking is, I must attend church because God is holy. I must not neglect my walk with God because God is holy. 
I must not give in to my temptations, into my bad attitude, into my harsh words, because God is holy, and I'm supposed to be fashioned after His likeness. Because God is holy, and I'm supposed to be like Him, not make Him more like me. We have a tendency to make a God in our own minds that is fashioned after our own personality and our own preferences instead of fashioning our Christian ideologies after the God of the Bible. Is everybody okay? Our preferences form a God that fits our preferences instead of us forming our behavior to fit our holy God. Verse number 16. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in what? In fear. Have you called on the Heavenly Father? Have you been saved? Have you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior? And have you believed that God the Father sent His Son to die for your sins and that God now has reconciled Himself to us through the propitiation of His Son? Are you with me? And that we now have been reconciled to Him because we have cried out and called out unto the Father. If you have done that, then remember that God who is without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's what? So as we see these last days coming where God will be revealed, yes, praise the Lord, let us hoop and holler and get excited about the appearing of Jesus Christ and the grace that is to one day appear unto us. We have spent a couple of weeks rejoicing in that. But let us also be challenged by the Word of God where the Lord tells us that in these last days it behooves us and it is right for us to do everything in our power to be more like Him. Because he who is without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work. He is without respect of persons. Hey, listen to me, Sunday school teacher. Hey, you don't get any special uh, preference with God just because you have a position. He is not a respecter of persons. Well, I'm, so, I'm teaching in the Sunday school class so I don't have to worry so much about some of the sins that I'm struggling with. God understands or He wouldn't have placed me in this position. I must have a greater understanding with God. No, you don't. God is no respecter of persons. Are you holy? Christian, please look at this preacher. Are we holy? How did we live today? How have we lived these first three days of the week? Technically the fourth. Sunday's the first. Are we holy? Are we striving to be so? Our Savior will soon appear. Then how will He find us? In what attitude will He find us? What will He find us saying? What will He find us doing? In what state of life will He find us? 
In what state of behavior will he find us? Are we holy? And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in what? Pass the, let's all look at it together. Pass the sojourning of your... That word sojourning means as if we don't belong here, we're just passing through. Pass the sojourning of your time here in what? In fear of man? No, but that's where we all are often. We fear what man thinks of us more than we do God, so we conform to their opinion of what we should be doing instead of conforming to God's opinion of what we should be doing. We allow people's opinions at work to change our behavior. We allow people's opinions at school to change the way we act and dress. We allow people's opinions on Facebook to change the way that we behave in this life. We fear man more than we fear God sometimes. If America entered into persecution tonight, and Joe Biden and his cronies put out a decree that all of American Christianity should be thrown into prison, who would fear God rather than man? Let's turn our Bibles to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, would you please, in the Old Testament? And look at chapter number 12 and verse number 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now listen, the book of Ecclesiastes is written by a man with a lot of regret. It's called the book of the preacher, but he's a preacher who's preaching from an angle of great regret. He tried everything under the sun. Are you listening to this preacher? He tried everything under the sun. The foolish things, the wise things. He pleased himself constantly. And he ended his life with great regret. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the best I can tell, is a book that is written and preached from that angle. From the angle of wisdom that came from great regret and sinful mistakes. And what does he say? With all of the lifetime that he spent, with all of the wealth and all of the wives and all of the goods and all of the wisdom... What did he have in the end? He says, here's what I wish I had done. And here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Do you see that? Is everybody there with me? This is the whole duty of man. Will we live a life of regret? 
Most of the older adults have already decided where you stand in the Lord, but you could still be shaken from your faith in the latter days. I've seen it happen, and so have you. Will you stand holy before God, or will you stand with regret? Will you keep pressing on in the last days to live holy and to stay holy, to stay in church, to stay in your Bible, to keep, to, to keep fellowshipping with the Lord, to keep walking with God? Or will you stand before the Lord one day with regret? Here's the whole duty of man, to fear God and to keep His commandments. That's the conclusion of the whole matter. But see, that's not what we're seeing in modern Christianity today. And I'm not necessarily saying in our church, but I'm saying in modern Christianity today, we're seeing less and less holiness, more and more carnality, more and more flesh, less and less church attendance, less Bible reading, more Facebook, less godly music, more worldly music, less time serving, more time binging, binge watching. You know, this comes to mind, Hebrews 10.25 is quoted often when it comes to church attendance. And you know what we're supposed to do? The Bible says that besides just forsaking not the assembling of ourselves, or not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but there are instructions that are given before that as well that often get skipped. And the Bible tells us that we're supposed to do all of these things so much the more as we see the day approaching. And so, let me just, I'm not going to preach that message right now. We're not going to go to Hebrews chapter number 10. It's not entirely within context of the message. But can I just say, we don't need less Christianity. We need so much the more Christianity as we see the day approaching. And we don't need less church attendance. We need more church attendance as we see the day approaching. It's easier to say to the Wednesday night crowd because you're the cream of the crop. You're the ones that are here. Faithful in the midweek service. But we don't need to be skipping out on the Lord in these last days. Taking advantage of everything that we can in this earth before the days are over. Well, it's kind of backwards thinking for the Christian. To fear God and to keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The Bible tells us that we are to live our days here in fear. Now, what does that mean? Now, now, please, 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 listen to me, please, listen to me. I've lost some of you, and I've even said it, said it kindly tonight, and I've lost some of you. Some of our young people, I've lost you. But please hear me out. When the Bible says we're supposed to live our time of sojourning here in fear, I do not personally believe by my meditation upon God's Word and thought and prayer on this subject that God is saying that we need to live constantly in fear of God because Spurgeon said this, I'm going to paraphrase, but Spurgeon said this about uh, always having an opinion that God is nothing but a judge. He said we should understand the great love of God because if we think that God is only a judge, he said I lived many years 
thinking that God was only a judge. And he said, when I lived my life thinking that God was only a judge and that we, he was always only looking to judge me for my wrongdoing, he said, when I lived in that mindset, I found it easy to sin and hard to live right. He said, but once I became overwhelmed with the love of God, I found it hard to break the heart of one who loved me so. The Bible says that God is love and that we are in keeping His commandments demonstrating our love to Him. This whole thing is about God's love toward us. But can I ask you a question? If you've had a good relationship with your father or mother over the years, did you live in constant fear of them or only in fear when you thought about doing wrong? Huh? When I talk to my dad, I don't listen or I don't, I don't think of my dad in my conversation with him as only my judge. We have a good, open, fun, kind, friendly conversation about everything under the sun. Hunting and, 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 and golf and basketball games and football games and family and ministry and all of these other things. And we enjoy one another's fellowship. But if the time ever comes... When I am faced with temptation, one of the first things that still comes to mind at 40 years old is, but what would my dad think? And that godly fear prevents me often from sin. Are you with me? So in the moment, now notice the context of the passage. God is telling us to live holy, right? So as we sojourn here in these days of the last times, as we wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ, listen to me. Are we always constantly living a life that is avoiding sin? I hope not. If you are, you have opened the door to Satan and to way too many temptations in your life. Close some of those doors so you can live this life without constantly trying to avoid sin. That was just a freebie. Wasn't in my notes, just a side thought. But... We should be able to go long periods of time as Christians without constantly being under the influence like they were in Genesis chapter 6 where all of their imaginations were only evil continually. That is the mindset of a lost and reprobate world as is described in Romans chapter number 1. That should not be the mindset of a Christian. And Christian, I don't think the Holy Spirit wants me to come off of it, so may I just say it one more time. If you're constantly fighting temptations, and it's an all-day struggle, you need to close some doors. You shouldn't be struggling 24-7. Does that make sense? You shouldn't be. You've opened some doors to temptation in your life that don't need to be opened. Slam them shut. But as we sojourn here, we should be able to live. I don't know, can I just throw out a random number? Number, number? We should be able to live 75% of our day. I don't know. Better than 50% of our day. Something. We should be able to live our day not constantly in fear, but rather in love with God because we're living for God. But in those moments when we are tempted to not be holy, 
we should have a fear of not being holy. Does that make sense? The sojourning here in fear, the best I can tell, it's all within the context of living holy. So in the moments where we're tempted not to be holy, there should be a godly fear that stops us from not being holy. There should be a godly fear that stops us from watching that movie. There should be a godly fear that stops us from skipping out on church. There should be a godly fear that stops us from that bad attitude. There should be a godly fear that closes our mouth before we say those words. The fear that we should live in while we live here should not be constant because we shouldn't be constantly trying to stay out of sin. But in those moments when we're tempted, there should be a godly fear and we should never lose that. Is everybody okay? Verse number 18, For as much as ye know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by tradition from your fathers. Do you understand what that just said? Look back at the first uh, verse of 1 Peter 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Who were the strangers? At this time, the book of Acts shows us a transition that took place where the Jews were the ones that were receiving the gospel and there was great revival happening and the church was scattered and most of the church that was scattered were Jews in Jerusalem. Are you with me? Now, as those Jews scattered and they began to preach the gospel everywhere that they went, except the apostles who kept staying in Jerusalem, which they were told not to do in the first chapter of Acts. Anyway, while all of the people in the churches are being scattered abroad because of the persecution of the church, they're preaching everywhere they go. But the apostles stay in Jerusalem. Go look it up. And God was the one who told them that they were supposed to, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, go out and be witnesses unto Him everywhere but they can't seem to find themselves a way to leave Jerusalem. Can I get a witness, Brother Matt? Can't find a way out of America, even though God tells us to go. But they stay in there in Jerusalem anyway. That's a, that's a rabbit trail. Go study it for yourself. But the, 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 the strangers who are scattered abroad, many of them are Jews. Are you with me? Now, many of them are Gentiles as well because they're getting saved by the Jews that are scattered. And as those Gentile Christians are getting saved, they're also being persecuted, right? So this, this book is written to all, Jews and Gentiles. But who had more traditions handed to them from their fathers which flew in the face of the redemption of Jesus Christ more than the Jews? Uh, okay, <laughs> you're you're looking at me like, what? Okay, let me start over. Try this again. Look at verse number 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by what? Tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Jewish Christians were struggling mightily with this idea of Judaizing Christianity. People that were trying to bring the Jewish traditions back into Christianity. Are you with me? The Old Testament Jewish traditions, they were trying, there was this false teaching that was pervading the, the, the New Testament church. They were trying to bring the Old Testament traditions of the Jewish culture back into the New Testament preaching and requiring circumcision and, 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 and sacrifices and things of that nature. Is everybody okay? 
And he says, look, you weren't redeemed from those things that were handed to you by the traditions of your fathers. Those sacrifices. Circumcision. Or all the precious gold and silver that they were taking into the temple and the tabernacle to try to buy their way into heaven. When Jesus said, you paid tithe of, 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 of all of these different things, but you have, you have neglected the weightier things. They, they, they left Jesus Christ out of it. Are you with me? The, Jew, the Jews did not believe in Jesus Christ. And he said, look, you've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, not by all these things that you've been handed by your fathers and by their traditions, right? Amen. All right, now, who was verily, verse number 24, ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Aren't you glad that our salvation was foreordained before the foundation of the world, that God saw that when He created us as men, that we would be sinners and would need a Savior. And before He ever created Adam and Eve, before He ever set the first foundation of the world, He foreordained the process of redemption. Verse number 21, Who by Him, who by Jesus Christ, do believe in God, that raised Him up from the dead. God the Father raised up Jesus Christ from the dead by the power of the Spirit, and gave Him glory, that your faith and hope might be in who? In God. So, he's connecting dots here between God the Father, who the Jews believed in, and God the Son, who they did not believe in. And he's saying, look, God the Father has ordained this redemption process through His Son, Jesus Christ. And He has reconciled you to Him by Jesus Christ. Is everybody okay? Alright, now, look at verse number 22. Okay, I said there were two major subjects in this last little bit of the passage. First, we dealt with our holiness as we see the day approaching. Now look at verse number 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit. And you cannot win any spiritual battle without the Word of God and the Spirit of God. If you're going to get cleaned up, if we are going to get cleaned up from our spiritual struggles and our sins, it's going to have to be through the truth and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot win the battles of this sinful nature in our flesh. Seeing ye have purified your souls in what? Obeying the truth so the Word of God tells you how you ought to live and you do it. And that purifies you. The more you live the Word of God, the more pure your actions become. Yes? And how do you live for God? Through the power of the Spirit. Amen. A person cannot live for God without the Holy Spirit resting inside of them. And we have all received the Spirit of God if we have been saved. And we must rely upon the Spirit and we must submit ourselves to the Spirit, and we must walk after the Spirit so that we do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Amen. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth. So what is the purification of your souls? That's holiness, right? So seeing that you have accomplished this, here's the second thing. Are you with me? Don't fall asleep yet. Look at it in verse number 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls, seeing that you have focused on being holy, by obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. 
colon. He's not none. Because of what he just said, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. What did he, now what did he just say? Hey Christian, there are two things we're supposed to be doing more of in these last days. One, being holy and being purified, which is holiness. And two, the Bible says that as God purifies our souls in obeying the truth, what happens? It brings us unto unfeigned love of the brethren. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that the more you allow God... I had to do that to wake some people up. It means that the more that we allow God to purify us, the more fervently we will love God's people. I'm going to let you think on that for a second. Just meditate on it for a second. So if we don't have a healthy love towards all of God's people and there's tension between us and any of God's people, then as much as we like to think we've been purified and that we're living holy, we're not. If you can't love one of God's people, one of your brethren, because of something in the past or because of something that happened, you know what God just said? If you have been purified, you get purified unto something. Unto something. In other words, the result of that purification becomes this. Right? You know, this isn't the first time he said this about the last days, right? You want to turn back to the book of James where we started our study on the Christian in the last days? Look at verse number 7 in James chapter 5, verse number 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the what? coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Huh? Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Did he call himself the judge in 1 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 17? Sure did. Does anybody hear a common theme that keeps getting repeated in these last days? God says, if you're truly purified in your souls, it'll bring you unto unfeigned love of the brethren. What does that mean? Unfeigned love. It means love that's not fake. seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. 
See that you love one another with a pure heart. Fervently. But you know, there's one thing we love to hang on to as Christians, and we say we're purifying ourselves in every other way. But a truly pure Christian will not hold a grudge against any brother. That's not my spin, that's your Bible. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say I don't fight with it. But I am saying your Bible says the two are not possible. They don't come together. A pure Christian, a truly pure Christian is brought unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. What does that word fervently mean? Vehemently, intensely, strongly. Well, I love them, I just don't love them a whole bunch. That's why God put fervently in there. Huh? Hey, please, please listen to me. I know. I have not in the past been guiltless of this one. I do believe I can say that I stand before you right at this moment without a grudge towards any Christian. I believe I can say that. The Lord knows my heart. I believe I can. And I try to live that way and have tried to live that way since I've come. But it started way before the Lord brought us here. The Lord had to bring me to a point where I forgave a whole lot of people for things that I thought they had done wrong against me. Y'all, I've had guns pulled on me in my own office by disgruntled church members. Loaded 38 revolver on at least two occasions. I've had my tires slashed. I've had people screaming at the phone over me, uh, screaming over the phone at me. I've had people lie around town about me. I've had men walk up to me behind me while I was conducting the soul winning meeting, and for whatever reason, they would always conduct the soul winning meeting over near the door where people were entering. Uh, back behind the speaker. And one man would come in almost every Saturday morning and bump me while I was leading the soul winning meeting shoulder to shoulder like he wanted to fight. And I'm not saying I was guiltless either. I don't think I brought those things on me. I think I just had a bunch of people that couldn't take preaching for the first two years of my pastoral ministry. And I had one of the biggest preachers in the country 
sit in my office. And if I said his name, just about everybody here would know him. And he preached at my church two years in a row. And I had a preacher that uh, God has used greatly and has dealt with a lot of rough stuff, and he's a pretty rough character himself sometimes, say to me twice, I could not pastor here. You need to leave. I couldn't put up with this. I had a man when I tried to visit him one day because he missed a couple services. Stand up out of his chair and try to get me to fight him. While another man in the church stood up between us as I sat in the chair and tried to remain calm and honestly didn't say anything to make that man angry. He was just angry. And when I showed up to visit him and asked him to come back, he stood up and said, you want to fight, preacher? I said, I want to fight you. I want to fight you. What are you talking about? And I'll tell you, it took me some time to get over all of that. I'm not saying I'm guiltless. I'm saying I've been, I've been there. I've been through this fight trying to figure out how to forgive somebody and truly love everybody. And I genuinely, genuinely believe because I saw that man who kept bumping shoulders with me and tried to fight me right before he left church. I saw that man about a month before I left town and shook his hand and we had a conversation and tears filled his eyes. And I can tell you with all genuineness, I didn't look at him with anger anymore. Preacher, you just don't understand. We can forgive. Yes, we can. You can forgive being you can forgive being screamed at. You can forgive having a gun pulled on you on two separate occasions. You can forgive having your tires slashed. You can forgive a man bumping you almost every time he walked into the church while you were trying to hold the Sunday school and soul winning meeting. Uh, you, you you can you can forgive somebody screaming over the phone at you, telling lies and, and screaming at you over the phone and talking about all these things that you supposedly did that you never did. You can forgive all of that stuff. Yes, you can. And you can look a person in the eyes and say, I genuinely have no grudge with you. Amen. Yes, you can. And if we don't, we're just admitting we haven't been purified enough. Verse number 22, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. This is really interesting. I'm going to close with this. The word fervently seems to be a metaphor taken from a bow which the more it is bent with the greater force that it sends forth the arrow because the further you pull it back in ancient archery with a long bow or a recurve bow 
the further you pulled it back, the more tension there was. Not modern bows with, with, with compound uh, uh, cams and things on them. But many of you know. But with an ancient longbow or a recurve bow, the further you pulled it back, the more tension there was and the more momentum the arrow grabbed. The more energy it took. Are you with me? With the greater force it sends forth the arrow, so love. The more fervent and strong it is, the more abundantly it puts forth itself to the benefit of others. And then God reminds us in verse number 23 why we should behave this way. Because we were born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please take these truths, help us to be reminded of them tonight. Would I pray that you'd help us to Allow your spirit to move as only you can. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, how many would say, Preacher, if I were to die today, I know for a fact.